Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. Then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin. Hey, um, it's Sunday, and I'm going to do the Sunday request, and I'm probably not going to make everyone happy with the Sunday request, but this is not Sully Make Everyone Happy Daily. This is Sully Baseball Daily, and every once in a while, I am going to say a thing or two that will uh, may rankle someone, and I don't care. I'm not saying anything vindictive on this podcast. I'm not going to say anything bad in this podcast, but... I'm a man of my opinions, and I'm going to make my opinions known. Okay, have I done enough damn disclaimers? Okay, then let's get on with it. Okay. Sunday request comes from one of my listeners named William Darner, who goes by Bill Darner as his uh, Twitter handle. I'm going to call you Bill. Is that okay? Are you okay with that, Bill? Okay. Um, He said, what do you think about Don Drysdale... Bob Gibson and those famous older headhunters, if you think throwing at a player is wimpy. Let me tell you what he's referring to. I hate beanball wars. I do. I hate the concept of throwing at batters. I do. I think it's cowardly. I don't think that shows that you're tough. I don't think that it shows that you're a man. I don't think it shows anything other than you're a sore loser. This is from the eyeballs of a player playing in 2016. This is from the eyeballs of a fan watching in 2016. If you're upset someone hit a home run off you, if you throw at him, congratulations, you've shown that he's the bigger man. If you don't like that someone is, you know, they showed you up or whatever, don't throw at him. Get him out. I'm not impressed by throwing them, and I'm not impressed by beanball wars. I'm not impressed by, oh, we got to police the game. And let them decide, let the players decide, and all that crap. I think it's crap. I don't like it. I said before, I said it again, I would rather have 10,000 bat flips and have a player circle the bases followed by, by the USC marching band than see someone throw at a pitcher, uh, throw at a batter, especially headhunting. Headhunting, nope, you can kill someone doing that. No celebration is worth killing. No one is worth being killed over the fact that you feel small. That's all there is to it. And so when I see that happening now, when I hear, well, hey, hey, this person threw at this person, so they got to do this and that. To this day, Sean, and I, this is an example I've brought up before, but to this day, Sean Estes is vilified in New York for not throwing at Roger Clemens, merely throwing behind him. Sean Estes hit a home run off of Roger Clemens, which is a thousand times more humiliating than throwing at him. And yet Sean Estes is still considered that, oh, he didn't throw at him because uh, uh, Clemens threw the bat at Piazza and all this crap. Now, I have to say a few things. One of my favorite players growing up as a kid was Roger Clemens. And my favorite player of all time is Pedro Martinez. And yet I am aware 
that they threw at batters. And I have to say that was always the part of Rogers' game and of Pedro's game that I liked the least because they had such amazing stuff that I'm thinking, why waste getting in a manhood measuring competition as opposed to just using your lightning stuff and trying to get the player out. That, to me, was always a part of it. Pedro, don't bother doing Don't deal with that crap. Strike him out. You're better. Move on. Because I don't know that he listened to me slowly. I want my team to win games. Now, there was one time... I saw a pitcher throw at a batter intentionally that I actually thought was hilarious. Hilarious in a way that there was a message being sent and I kind of thought the message being sent was kind of funny. And it happened in a game between the Seattle Mariners and the Cleveland Indians at some point in the late 1990s. And Randy Johnson was pitching for Seattle and Kenny Lofton was the batter for Cleveland. And a pitch... Randy Johnson was famously a little wild at some points in his career, and a ball got out of the way and kind of got up and in on uh, Lofton. And Lofton started barking as if to say, you threw at me intentionally. And Randy Johnson gave a, what? What are you talking about? And the next pitch, he did throw high and tight, and Johnson had a look as if to say, that's throwing it intentionally. Now, while I'm not thrilled about that, I kind of think that's a little funny. For what it's worth, I think it's a little funny. But I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan of beanball wars, settling stuff on the field. It's a bunch of crap. Get the players out. Win the game. Stop being a macho idiot, you macho idiots. I don't like it. But ah, here it comes. What about Don Drysdale? What about Bob Gibson? And Bill Darner is saying it. Bill Darner is asking the question, do I put them in the same category? Well, let me bring up one specific in this. It's hard for me to think about Bob Gibson and not think that he may have had a massive chip on his shoulder. Gee whiz, Sully, I wonder why. Here he was, extraordinarily talented pitcher, not being able to stay in the same hotel with everyone else, playing in St. Louis, which, uh, let's just say, is kind of a charged place now. I can't imagine what it was like in the mid-60s. That there may have been an element of well, let's just say there may have been statements outside of the game going on there in terms of him needing to intimidate the batters and to say, don't get inside, you're in trouble. But I have to say this. When I hear the stories about how he told his roommate Bill White that he was going to hit him the first time he saw him as an opposing batter, and lo and behold, he did, or him throwing at a batter, at an old-timers game. Uh, To me, that's the least favorite part of Bob Gibson's lore for me. He played with the Harlem Globetrotters but quit because he didn't like how unserious they were. 
I like that element of Bob Gibson. I like what a competitor he was, that at least the legend was that a ball hit off the bat by Roberto Clemente, broke his leg, and he kept pitching for the rest of the game. I like the fact that he would, you know, he threw to a 1.12 ERA in 1968. The fact that he, he threw 304 innings that year and had one of the great statistical seasons in the history of baseball. I like the fact that he put up unbelievable, like, like ungodly numbers in the postseason, winning the two World Series MVPs that he won and undoubtedly would have won a third World Series MVP if Kurt Flood had not, well, kind of tripped and allowed that ball to get over his head in Game 7 of the 1968 World Series. The fact that he threw nine, nine postseason games and eight of them were complete games. And in fact, let's just say that he lost his first ever World Series game and he was uh, replaced by Barney Schultz, who Barney Schultz is the only person to ever relieve Bob Gibson in a World Series game because he just was unstoppable. He was a gold glover. And let's also remember, he hit a home run in the World Series clincher in 1967, unless we also forget he hit a home run in Game 4 of the 1968 World Series. He has two World Series home runs. These are all things that impress me a hell of a lot more than the stories of his, his headhunting. Even trying to put it into the context of the situation of being an African-American pitcher in St. Louis in the 60s. It's my least favorite part of his legend. And in terms of Don Drysdale, it's part of his legend that I just don't care about at all. Leading the league and hit batsmen every year. Yeah, I understand that there is an element of his wildness that worked in his favor. But to me, it was the fact that he was this dominant pitcher who had a peak that happened to coincide with the peak of Sandy Koufax, who had one of the great peaks in the history of baseball, period, end of sentence. Now, whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame, whether or not Don Dresdale belongs in the Hall of Fame, um, that's up for debate. You know, he took a while to get in, and statistically, he is along the line of some, you know, some players who got in, like Catfish Hunter and Jim Bunning, and some players who didn't make it in, like Hershiser and Billy Pierce and Milt Pappas and Vita Blue. So he was that borderline candidate who he happened to get in, and I think you could make a very strong argument that he got in on the strength of being Robin to Sandy Koufax's Batman. But that is not going to take away from the fact that he did have a wonderful career. He certainly had a wonderful peak, and he had some big, big games in the World Series as well. Certainly a complete game shutout that he threw in the 1963 World Series uh, against the Yankees, and then he had the very big game where he won in the 1965 World Series, uh, the, the, game, the Game 4 complete game victory that basically turned the tide of the World Series. Remember, 
the Twins beat both Koufax and Drysdale to start that World Series. If Drysdale doesn't win that game four, the Twins win that World will probably win that World Series. But when I think about Drysdale, I don't put him on this sort of godly pedestal, nor do I with Bob Gibson. I look at them as both Hall of Fame pitchers. I think clearly Bob Gibson had the better career. Uh, but they both both wonderful careers. Whether or not you think they both belong in the Hall of Fame, to me that's irrelevant. They both had wonderful careers. They both had wonderful uh, uh, highlights. And they're in the Hall of Fame, whether you agree with it or not. And both World Series heroes, both multiple rings, blah, 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 blah. But the fact that they threw at the batters is something that doesn't really impress me. And it doesn't, their place in the history of baseball and as their legends doesn't change my opinion. If you throw out a player, you're showing me that, that that doesn't show me that you're better than them. You don't like the fact that Frank Robinson hit a home run off of you. You don't like the fact that Roberto Clemente launched a double off of you or, or, or you know, Dick Allen or whomever it was took you deep. Then fine, strike him out the next time. They both of them struck out enough batters to, that you didn't have to worry about that. So that's not it, something about them that I look back and say, oh, and man, they used to hit him. And this goes to a certain assumption. I like to call the baby boomer assumption. And the baby boomers are getting older. And we Generation Xers are getting older too. I have a beard now. There's gray in my beard. Okay? I'm in my, I'm in my mid-40s. I've reached the one-third part of my life. And so I can actually look up and say, hey, look it. I don't look at who the baby boomers worship and say, oh, well, they're untouchable. They're not. They're not untouchable. Just because they came from a certain generation and we were told as kids that everything for that generation was better. We were told the baseball players were better. We were told the movies were better. We were told the, the TV shows were better. Everything was better from that time. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I've talked on this podcast. I've brought this up on this podcast. The concept of and about the nostalgia. This was something I talked about a few weeks ago where I brought up comparing Pedro Martinez to Sandy Koufax and saying, I put the great run that Pedro Martinez went on in the late 1990s and early 2000s, I put that alongside Sandy Koufax's because of what Pedro had to face that Koufax never had to face, designated hitters. You know, the, the lower mound, the, the tinier strike zone, the roided up players, the smaller ballparks, the no foul territory, not being able to pitch inside, batters wearing armor, shortstops hitting opposite field home runs, you know, no you know, guaranteed outs from like a, a light hitting shortstop and the pitcher in the lineup. Koufax didn't have to deal with any of that. Pedro did. And put up numbers that in his peak, and you take a look at the years when he was, you know, 
throwing all those innings and getting all those strikeouts. Put those up next to to uh, Bob Gibson and Don Drysdale, and you'd be surprised how well they line up. And the person I said that to, who was a baby boomer, thought I, I desecrated the Shroud of Turin. It was so sacrilegious what I said. Because what happens in Beloved by the Baby Boomers is above all. The Baby Boomers and what they've done to nostalgia in baseball, how we're supposed to look at baseball, who we're not supposed to say anything bad about baseball. I'm sorry. I don't have that default force field around some of these players. When I hear some of the old timers talk about how they won't vote for Bonds or Clemens to get into the Hall of Fame because they did performance enhancing drugs, Mickey Mantle took amphetamines. Hank Aaron took amphetamines. They were illegal at the time. Now, do they do the same thing as what uh, you know, Clemens and Bonds and all of them were using? No, but they were breaking a rule. Does that mean I think that Hank Aaron doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame? He, he, he deserves to have his own building in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the great figures in the history of American sport. But if you use the argument for one and you can't use the argument for the other, why? Why can't you? I believe Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know? I believe Clemens belongs in the Hall of Fame. No doubt about it. Apparently there is a doubt about it. Apparently there's going to be a doubt about Manny Ramirez. Apparently there's going to be a doubt about David Ortiz. There's going to be a doubt about Alex Rodriguez. And it, part of it is, well, these players dared, trod upon the numbers that are so sacred. They were made sacred by the worship of the baby boomers and their definition of what nostalgia is and who we're supposed to worship. I have nothing but respect for Bob Gibson. I have nothing but respect for Henry Aaron. I have nothing but respect for Don Drysdale. Doesn't mean I have to like everything they did. Doesn't mean I have to say with that respect comes a default blanket of worship of everything they do or of being told that, hey, they did this and it was good. This is when men were men. No. Men are men now. Okay? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear any more nonsense. There were players who had wonderful careers, who did things that I was not a big fan of, like throwing at people. Now, am I going to call Bob Gibson a wimp? No, I'm not, because he may throw at me. I met Bob Gibson once at a big event of Hall of Famers that was in New York City. And I went over and I wanted to introduce myself to him, and he shot me a look. I think as he was having a conversation with someone, and I just said, excuse me, Mr. Gibson, he just shot me a look as if to say, can't you tell him I'm having a conversation? And I backed off. I backed off. Because he would have thrown something at me. I don't know. Maybe not. Mr. Drysdale had already passed away at that point. I'm not calling him a wimp, but I'm not saying I respect what he did when he threw at batters. 
That, to me, is not something I respect, even from the great Bob Gibson. And I know I'm not allowed to say that, but guess what? I just did. Am I going to call him a wimp? No. It means I don't like it. And I think it's, no matter who does it, there's an act of it that I think shows a little, I don't know, a tiny bit of loss of respect from your pal Sully. And just because they played in a certain era doesn't mean they get a pass. I'm tired of giving a pass to everything that was worshipped by people who were born as baby boomers. I'm tired of that. There's some great things that the baby boomers produced and loved and worshipped and all that and enjoyed. Some wonderful stuff. And there's also yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy, which stinks. There's terrible television. There's awful music. There's unwatchable movies. And there's some pretty bad baseball. And do you know what? Some of the stuff that I'm nostalgic for, that I'm told not to be nostalgic for, like the circular ballparks, like the pullover uniforms, like the bright colored uniforms, like the wild hair and everything like that, that we're all supposed to make fun of and long for the days of looking through the knothole and everything like that. I'm kind of sad because some of my baseball nostalgia is gone forever. I have wonderful memories of baseball in the cookie-cutter stadiums, in the polyester uniforms with the belt attached to it, and the powder blue uniforms, and the wild color schemes, and the crazy mustaches, and the hair coming out of the hat. That's my nostalgia. And I've, I may well be that jerk who's overly nostalgic for that period of time. But it doesn't mean that you're in the Hall of Fame your worship by baby boomers doesn't mean I'm going to sit back and go, oh, man, yeah, you got a blank slate from your pal Sully. The answer to that is no. So go to MLBReports.com and see the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. If you want to send me a Sunday request, do it via Twitter. Be like Bill Darner. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Yeah, yeah. I didn't worship the church of Drysdale and Gibson. If you have something to say about that, write me at Twitter and we'll get into an argument. This is your pal, Paul Francis Sullivan. I'm signing off a little differently today. I don't know why. It came out that way. I'm not going to change it. You can call me Sully.